Well, I stand before you uh, this afternoon uh, having completely changed what I was going to say today. And uh, so I'm going off on one. Okay, so uh, I just felt I've had an encounter with God recently. I want to share that with you. And out of that, I've just felt like I've got some stuff to share with you. So excuse me if it's not as polished and prepared as usual. But uh, I want to continue talking about the Father heart of God. Hasn't it just been great to talk about God's love every week? And just to experience that, it's just been absolutely amazing. And so far it seems like we just can't get away from the theme, which I'm going to carry on today. What is God like? What is he like? What's he like as a father? It just seems like he's been breaking out over us. Last week we just had a spirit of joy just breaking out on us. And today it's just been his compassion. It's just been his love just reaching out, just, just washing over us. I hope you've experienced that. He's a wonderful God. What is he like? But what is he like as a father is what we've been looking at in particular. And do you know this series is already having quite a, an impact on people. Uh, it's just great, wasn't it, to hear Steve's testimony last week. And Simon Clay's testimony as well. It's just amazing. And I've seen a few people this week and it just seems like God has impacted their lives with this story saying, I, I need to get some stuff sorted. You know, I've just realized I've not known the love of God like I should. And uh, I'm one of those people, actually. It just seems like uh, God's been arresting me. I shared a bit with you a few weeks ago. But actually, a few weeks ago, I didn't tell you the whole story because I was still trying to process it, still trying to work, at, work through it. And also, I wanted to talk to my dad uh, before I talk to you and just say, Dad, I'm going to be talking about this, but great respect to you. There's no dishing of my dad in this, but God's done something in my life over this whole issue of fatherhood recently. I was just uh, <clears throat> spending some time with God getting ready for the meeting two Sundays ago. And uh, I was just coming into God's presence and I was just aware that in my heart there was a kind of striving I was kind of straining somehow to get into God's presence. And I thought, well, why is that? That's not normal. I don't normally have that sort of issue, if you like. I normally come into God's presence. It's wonderful. But for some reason, I was striving to come into God's presence on that morning. And so I stopped and I, and I started to listen to the striving. I thought, what is going on here? And as I listened to what was going on in my own heart, I heard my own voice crying out, Daddy, give me some attention. Will you give me some attention today? And I thought, where has that come from? What is that all about? And as I started to just ask the Holy Spirit about it, I just had flashbacks to my childhood. Uh, My mum and dad, they were just busy all the time. (laughs) Uh, My dad was the deputy headmaster of a school in the town. He was also the pastor of our church, and he was also the dad of a family of four and we were not a quiet bunch we were quite a lively bunch and I I just remember growing up all the time thinking my dad hasn't got time for me, you know I need to say it very quickly because he's busy I don't want to bother him, I don't want to get in his way and everything else seemed to be more important to me as a child at that time and I just, I saw this like a little film suddenly saw a film of all sorts of events and things that happened in my life. And I realized how I'd also used that time as an excuse 
for bad behaviour. It's because I don't get enough attention. They don't care about me. And I also realised that it had affected even relationships I have now to some extent. Father figures in my life, that feeling of I better be quick because I don't want to take up too much time. And as, it, as this was all dawning on me, I started to get really emotional. I started to, to find that there's something breaking down inside me. And then I felt, I, I just said to the Lord, I said, well, is it right then for me to be thinking that about you? You know, is it right that you would be able to give me so much time? Are, are you that interested in me? Which is a silly, silly question, but that's where I was at. And then I felt God just turn, the pay, turn me to Psalm 139. And I, I've read this psalm dozens of times. But I suddenly read it with new eyes. Because I read it as a description of a father. And I just want to share that with you today. So what is God like? What's he like as a father? It's a very simple kind of talk. Next week we want, I want to do some... Um, I want to do some, some teaching into, and some application into some of the things that we've been talking about. But today, I just want you to chill. Just relax, because I believe the Father heart of God is just going to be exposed over us. I believe he's going to touch many of us. I don't know if you've been striving to come into God's presence. or you've been striving in your relationship with God. I believe that God just wants to come close to many of us this afternoon. So Psalm 139 just going to take you through it. Psalm 139, the first thing I saw as I read it, verses 1 to 4, was that he is an attentive father. He's an attentive father. It goes like this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. And you are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. As I read those verses, I just suddenly remembered what it was like to be a dad looking after a toddler. Uh, You know, I guess if you've had children of your own, you'll know this experience that you've got to keep an eye on those children. Because any minute now they're going to run off. And we had a prophetic illustration of that at the beginning of the meeting. When one child suddenly sprang up the stairs and was going for the door, you've just got to keep an eye on those, pe- on those children. And I, felt, and I felt God say, yeah. And, and I felt God say, that's what I'm like with you. I, I, don't, I can't take my eyes off of you. I'm watching you all the time. I'm fascinated with you. And if you're, a, if you're a parent and you've got children, you'll know that there's something incredibly fascinating about these tiny little creatures that are your children. We, you know, sometimes we pull our hair out with them, but how often we go in at night and just watch them sleeping, fascinated with them. And I felt God say to me, I'm like that about you. He says, I watch every time you get up. I'm expecting, what's he going to do? Every time you sit in that chair, I come and I sit with you. I'm watching you. Before you even speak, I'm waiting to hear what you've got to say. He's a father, and he's an attentive father. He doesn't take his eyes off you, even for a moment. And secondly, he's a protective father. Verses 5 and 6 say this. You hem me in, behind and before. 
You've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to entertain. You hem me in behind and before. You know, God is watching us all the time, but he's protective over us. He's protective about where we go, what happens in our lives. He's always watching over us. It says, um, and the picture here in the language, it's a bit like a book. It's a picture a bit like a book. If you imagine a book, you hem me in behind and before. Imagine the covers of the book, the, the firm, hardback covers of the book is the hemming in behind and before, and in between are all the pages of your life. And the, the picture there is one of strength. I, he's our book cover. God is holding us together. He's keeping us firm. He's keeping us clean and keeping us strong. He's hemming us in behind and before. And, you know, there's several words earlier in the worship about people really going through stuff. And it just feels like it's hard all the time. Well, God's hemming you in behind and before. He's holding you firm. He's holding you strong. Because he's a father who's protective of his children. He's a protective father. And the next thing in verses 7 to 10 is he's a dependable father. He's a dependable father. 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. You know, God is completely dependable. You know, God is not the kind of God who says, I'll be there to pick you up and he doesn't turn up. Or I'll be taking you out later and he doesn't do it. He is completely dependable. He can be completely relied upon. He is completely faithful. Hebrews 13 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So what can man do for me? What can man do to me? He will never leave us or forsake us, even if life is hell. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, if life is hell, if it's all going wrong, if it's all bad, everything's against you, even if you make your bed there, he is with you. He's not one of those fair-weather friends. He says, I'm a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that means whatever you're going through in your life, he is with you. He is with you. He never promised that everything would go right in our lives. Everything would just work out, like some prosperity teachers tell us. But he does promise, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, even for a moment. And you know, sometimes it's when we go through those hardest times that we actually discover that God comes the closest. <laughs> I don't know if you found that. I remember um, once having a car accident, and I was driving down the road in the middle of Devon with manure in the boot, yeah, really, manure, in a hatchback car for the garden, okay. And I was driving down the road, and as I went round the corner, suddenly I had no steering. I was doing about 40 miles an hour, and the car just 
drove straight up the bank. It must have looked hilarious if you could watch it, but it was pitch black. Drove straight up the bank, flipped over, and as I was going over in that split second, I suddenly thought, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crushed, because I could imagine that as it flipped and landed on the roof, which it surely must at that speed and that angle, I'd be crushed in the car. And at that moment, I felt the presence of God closer than I've ever known. He was so close to me, and I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was safe and I wasn't going to die. And I thought, oh no, there's manure in the boot. (laughs) And sure enough, when I stood up, I was covered in manure, but that was as bad as it got. And it's in those times, you know, when it's even hell itself that we can find God to come the closest. And I don't know what you're going through today, but I want you to know that, or what you're going through tomorrow, or what you're going through next week. This is the time that he is most discoverable. It's the time that he is the closest. When you even make your bed in hell itself. The other thing I saw in this just little passage here, it says... um, uh, Verse 11, actually, it just says this. um, If I say to the... So if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Surely the darkness will hide me. Surely it's too dark. Surely it's too bad. Surely I'm too deep in hell right now. I don't know if you've ever experienced that feeling where you just feel so far away. It's such a difficult situation. It says, even there, the darkness will not be dark to you and the night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. And just this thing, wherever the low point is, he will always find you. He will always find you. You cannot hide from him. There's no darkness that can overcome you. There's no situation of life. There's no depression that can come on you that can hide you or obliterate you from his love or from his attention. There's no darkness that can hide you. In verse 13 to 16, we can see that the Father is all-knowing. He knows everything. Verse 13, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, And I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. He knows everything about me. And he loves everything about me. He loves my personality. He loves my character. He loves even all my physical attributes and my defects and he loves yours too and there's all kinds of pressures on us from outside sometimes to conform to be like somebody else to to look like somebody else there's so much pressure on people today the image is king that's more important than anything it's how it appears on the outside but God loves the way that we are He made us just the way that we are because that's what he wanted. He chose you to be the mouthpiece in your workplace in just the way that you are because that's the plan that he had for you. 
You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows your frame very well. And your works are wonderful. Did you see that? That little verse? Your works are wonderful. I don't know, have you ever looked in the mirror and looked at yourself and said, Wow, Father, your works are wonderful. I never have, but I'm planning to try it later. Do you love what God loves? He totally loves you. He totally knows you. He totally made you the way that he made you. And the mysteries that are in the human body. I mean, just think about that. God knows everything about us. He knows all of the mysteries of the human body. And, you know, even with all the advances in science today, there's still a lot to wonder about, isn't there, in the human body? Just some some things that I came up with looking around the internet, you know, it says that the stomach's digestive acids are strong enough to dissolve zinc. Uh, Fortunately for us, the cells in the stomach lining renew so quickly that the acids don't have time to actually dissolve our stomachs. Think about that. If they didn't work at that speed, our stomachs would dissolve. What a mystery. The lungs contain over 300,000 million capillaries. That's tiny blood vessels. And if they were laid from end to end, they would stretch for 1,500 miles. Just our lungs. 1,500 miles of lungs. The human bone, I don't know if you knew this, is as strong as granite in supporting weight. A block of bone the size of a matchbox can support nine tons, which is four times as much as concrete can hold. How about that? A couple more? The focusing muscles of the eyes move around 100,000 times a day. To give your leg muscles the same workout as you have in your eye, you would need to walk 50 miles a day, Bernice. So Bernice does almost that many with her exercise regime at the moment. So we'd all have to walk like Bernice to get the same amount of exercise in our legs as is average in our eyes. The average person in the West eats 50 tons of food and drink. uh, 50 tons of food and drinks 50,000 litres of liquid during his life. What amazing things our bodies are. God made those fearfully and wonderfully made and he knows all about you and about your body and how it works and how it functions he knows all of the mysteries of you you know and we don't tend to think about our bodies very often unless we're complaining about them or when things go wrong or when we complain about different aspects of ourselves but the father knows all about them he designed them and he even knew me before i was conceived It says there, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together. The picture there is of multicolored thread in the depths of the earth. He says, your eyes saw my unformed body, meaning your embryo. The Father was watching you, even from an embryo. Wow. What kind of fathering is that? I mean, how many dads have had that privilege? I mean, you get to see that little blob, don't you, moving around on the screen. But he saw your unformed body, and he knew you even then. 
Not only did he see you, he had a plan for your life even then. He's all-knowing. Our Father knows everything. Next, uh, I saw this in verse 16 again, but the second half. I love this picture. And this really struck me that Father is so diligent. It says that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All our days are written in this book that he keeps. And I kind of imagined it in this sort of father attitude of, of being incredibly diligent and attentive in that, I mean, I'm not very good at photographs. I'm not very sentimental in that way. I'm not very good at taking photos at just the right moment, and I regret it so much years later. You know, and, and, and then even if I am entrusted with photos, I do silly things like delete them off the computer and get in lots of trouble. But our father isn't like that. He keeps, and I just imagine this kind of photo album of our lives. He keeps this album, and I can just imagine him sort of leaning over to the sun and the Holy Spirit. Oh, do you remember when he did that? Do you remember when he first walked? Do you remember when he first spoke in tongues? Do you remember when he first chose me? When he realized that I was onto him? And you know, that book is so wonderful because it only contains the good things. Because all the rest is wiped out, we've been forgiven. So this book is full of all of your exploits, all of your achievements, all of the wonderful things. He's proud of you. (laughs) He's a proud father. And he's diligent in recording our lives. He knows all about our lives. He knows about the past, the present, and the future. And he knows it all at the same time. He knows all about our lives, what we will do, what we will become, the decisions that we will make and have made, every thought that we will ever think or word that we'll ever speak. He's a diligent father. And next I saw this, that he was a thoughtful father. Verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Now this is just an amazing verse because it's actually unimaginable. Um, This is not just about God's incredible knowledge of us. It's also about his thoughtfulness, his literal thoughtfulness. How precious are your thoughts, O God? How vast is the sum? They would outnumber the grains of sand. Have you ever realized how much God not only just thinks of you, but about you. How often he thinks about you. You know, I often think when I'm away or something, I think about my family at home. Usually when I'm just going to bed or something, because I've had a busy day. But the father, he's not like that. He thinks so much that it would outnumber the grains of sand. How much is that? Well, mathematicians at the University of Hawaii, tried to guess how many grains of sand are on just one of the world's beaches. On just one. And they came up with 7.5, 7 quintillion, 5 quadrillion grains of sand, which for the uninitiated is 7.5 with 17 zeros. That's a lot of thoughts. And that's just one beach. They would outnumber 
the grains of sand, not including, and that includes the deserts. So a lot of thoughts. Did you know that God thought about you that much? That he's thinking about you even now. That's the kind of father he is. Your life, your fears, your concerns, your future, your past. Every aspect, every nuance, every thought, every feeling. He's already seen it and he's already thought about it. And that's been going on for your whole life, even before you were conceived. So he thought about when you were ill as a baby and and your parents wondered if you were going to make it through and he knew that you would. (laughs) Now, he remembered the first time you woke up with a bad dream when you were five and had that recurring nightmare. When you won your first spelling contest, he thought about you. When you had your first kiss, he was a bit worried for a moment there. When you qualified in your chosen profession or you started your first job, when you were promoted or when you lost your job, when your wedding partner or the one you thought you'd be with forever and it didn't work out or you didn't find one, or it didn't turn out quite the way you expected. He was there when you mourned, and you thought your heart would break, and you wondered where he was. Grains of sand, more than the grains of sand. Myriads of thoughts. It's not even imaginable how much he thinks of you. And this kind of thoughtfulness that inspired, it's this kind of thoughtfulness that inspired a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's this that motivated God, who even when we were still enemies, reconciled us to himself in Christ. It's about our God, who's he's got time on his hands, just to sit around thinking love thoughts about you and me. What kind of love is this that we should be called sons of God? A God who cares about each one of us to such an extent that we can't even begin to imagine the extent of his thoughtfulness. The next thing we see is that we have a father who is continually discoverable, verses 23 to 24. We'll get to that in a minute, but go back to verse 7 first of all. He's continually discoverable because David says this. He says, where can I go from your, pre- your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And you might think, well, maybe that's what David wanted. Maybe that's what he was wanting. You know, he was trying to escape from God. Maybe God is an, overpe- a bearing, an overbearing father and he can't wait to leave home. He can't wait to get away. And it, it, doesn't it all sound a bit too much like Big Brother? He's watching your every move, your every thought, your every aspect. Like some kind of cosmic invasion of privacy that he's appealing against. But that's not what David is saying, because in the last part of the psalm, David invites his father to come closer. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. These aren't the words of a man who wants to run away. You know, perhaps you feel like you want to run away and hide from God sometimes. But these are not the words of a man who wants to run away. They're the words of a man who actually wants God to search him. No, David doesn't want to flee from God's presence. actually wants to find it everywhere. He wants to find God wherever he is and whatever he's going through. Actually, it becomes an adventure of finding God everywhere. And when you understand that, you can see that actually what this is is like a cosmic game of hide and seek. 
You know, David is saying, where can I go from your spirit? Your spirit? Can I flee from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, are you there? If I go down into hell, are you there? If I rise with the wings of the dawn, if I go to the far side of the sea, even there, would I find you? Will your hand guide me? And the sense of that, will your hand guide me, is a sense of your hand's there before I've even got there. Can you see how playful this is? Did David know father as dada too? Do you think God can be playful? And then finally we come to this rather puzzling section in verses 19 to 22, which seems so out of place with the whole of the rest of the psalm. Slay the wicked and the bloodthirsty men. Here, let me just read this. How would you feel if somebody just decided to read this in a meeting one day? Oh Lord, slay the wicked. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do not hate those who hate you, O Lord. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them my enemies. Amen. (laughs) And you think, well, where did that come from? It's all this lovely stuff about the Father watching you and how attentive and kind and wonderful and beautiful he is. And then you get this, oh, slay the wicked. But isn't that so often the case, that it seems like that in our lives, everything's so wonderful and beautiful and then evil suddenly breaks out. It just cuts right in and that relationship's marred and everything gets thrown up in the air and suddenly I'm in hell. And you might think, well, what on earth is going on here? And actually what we're seeing here is that God is also a vengeful father. How about that? He's a vengeful father. He will see justice is done. I mean, how many times have you looked around the world and wondered, where are you in this, God? You know, how did you allow that to happen? Or, you know, that situation or that family or those tragic circumstances. And we see the injustice and the suffering. You see, the reality is is that this psalm is not some kind of la-la, sentimental, lovey-dovey relationship with God. It's based on reality, it's based on a man who's proved God over many years through many circumstances and situations, even to the depth which, as I've said, is an allusion to hell itself, where he talks about making his bed there, making his bed in hell, having to sleep there, having to lie down there. It's a dreadful thought, and his testimony was this, that he found God in every situation. However good or bad things have been, he encountered God continually. So whether he was up or whether he was down, in hell or in heaven, as far from home as he could be, in every thought, in every word, he encountered God. Because he's that kind of father. But in those areas when there was still injustice or where evil is still rampant and unchecked, where we haven't seen the answers to our prayers, where we haven't seen that person saved, where we haven't seen them healed, where injustice is done, where whole nations are overturned like we're seeing on the news at the moment. Well, my daddy is bigger and stronger than yours. 
and he's going to win. He's a powerful God and he wins because we've read the end of the book. My daddy is powerful and those, he's going to get all those bad men and those monsters that roam the earth and he's going to show them who's boss. He wins, he wins, he wins. And I don't know what situation you're in at the moment, but I want you to know that he is a father that is so attentive and so faithful and so loving. And I don't know what your view of God has been up until now. Maybe you've only seen what he hasn't done yet. The things that still haven't been answered, the prayers that are still left hanging, the problems that we still see in our society. But he's done so many other things. He is in so many other situations. He's so loving, he's so faithful, he's so kind. And I just feel, I just wanted to share that with you. It's kind of impacted me. What an amazing father we have. And I hope that's helped you too.